I'm just going to throw in a caveat before you listen to this episode. With it being New Year, I didn't apply the usual breathalyzer to the contributions and maybe that was a mistake. sets the scene for the white and green fuck the SFA we still won the day still are the teams still are the teams still are the teams still are the teams there was just a glimmer of hope um, that come out of Dane's Park, you know. That's all it was, just a glimmer. Um, but that then led to us going with a slightly better frame of mind into the Hun game and the confidence we took for that Hun game, which was an absolute must-win for us, for, for tons of reasons, but mainly the momentum would have been completely with them and we would have been at the precipice of a massive massive crisis we took that confidence into the St Mern game and <clears throat> almost every Celtic supporter I spoke to had been kind of at pains to point out that it meant nothing on Saturday did, had been, did we know when it in Paisley and so on and 100% right and you could tell the management and the players had that drummed in straight away um, with the start that we made very clinical, um, Matt O'Reilly again, phenomenal, um, good ball into Maeda obviously and his finish was, was good, it's instinctive, that's what you want, you know, Maeda's one of the players I think has impact lessons than Mary thinks about it, you know, where you take for example, yeah, it was him that said I saw last season at Ibrox, sorry, at the start of last year at Ibrox, we are we are go. We didn't think it. We just went and boom, and um, we done it again. And it was like you know, let's go kind of thing. And before uh, fans had a chance to sit back, do know that anybody sits doing it away games now. Um, number two has gone in, and um, I mean the the turn for Paulo Bernardo um, on the edge of the boxes is just incredible. I mean, if you wanted a symbol of 
you know, who who embodied the, the kind of change in confidence and um, just overall kind of impact, it was Paolo Bernardo. I mean, he scored a, a scrappy goal at Dens. He then scores a screamer um, against the Huns. And then you can just see now that he's he's kind of benefiting for the running games, benefiting for the fact that I think Brendan Rodgers says, right, you know, you're the guy in charge of the jersey now. Um, I think we've seen the last of David Turnbull, which is no great disappointment for me, that's for sure. Awata probably got injured at the wrong time, and obviously Hatati has come back, um, which is great for everybody. But I'm really impressed with his leap forward. Um, and that was it, and we're kind of in cruise control um, from that minute onwards. And <coughs> excuse me, the the then the other talking point, of course, is the sending off, which you know, I've been read back and heard back and all that. I mean, Chris Sutton, I think, needs to take a wee lie down. I mean, I, listen, great servant for the club and all the rest of it. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't think he really knows that much about football. Um, as his stint at Lincoln City fucking proved but <laughs> too many times he just kind of calls it wrong and then does everything he can to try and bring in other aspects to prove that he was right all along I mean, you know a tiny bit more force or a tiny bit closer that could take fucking Hart's heat off and he's quabbling about a fucking yellow card I mean the red card, it's, it, it's really bizarre um, and the very fact that the referee seemingly saw the instant because he gave a book in and didn't he think that was a red card I mean come on to fuck you know the way that takes a VAR intervention is beyond me but um, we're 2-0 up and um, a man up and things looking good for the first half Hi Paul Snaz here with uh, my thoughts on uh, this evening's game uh, there's many positives uh more so the continu- continuation of the, the recent form. Last four games uh, going into the break, four wins, ten scored, one conceded. And oh, most importantly, the gap's still there. Um, I'd love to say it was any lows this evening, but uh, if I pointed out the against ten men in the second half, maybe we should have got some more goals. But uh, on the whole, I would say uh, I was happy that... Uh, the way the game was navigated relatively card and injury free uh, for us uh, the St Mirren fans uh, might want to take a look at themselves with the highlights uh, and uh, think that that red was uh, deserved and uh, the booing of Taylor for being done by one of their players uh, uh, was pretty harsh but it's always good to see uh, a player get with a, a get it right fucking up you go uh, to shut them back up uh, rather than lows, there's uh, opportunities, uh, and those are opportunities. I would say uh, Palmer would be the head of it. A uh, bit off the boil at the moment, uh, particularly with his uh, going forward uh, contributions. Uh, I think uh, his development will benefit from uh, having some more fit uh, competition for starting places with uh, players getting back and hopefully some uh, new arrivals. Uh, Abada, again, will need some game time to get sharper in front of goal, uh, much like uh, Maeda over the last few games, uh, um, needing uh, that bit of uh, match sharpness and uh, 
that kind of showed for uh, the first goal when he uh, took it first time with uh, with not much thought and uh, got the opener. Um, the first of two well-worked passing moves and finishes. Uh, the Matt O'Reilly goal was uh, another thing of beauty there with uh, another uh, involvement from um, Bernardo. Uh, with the Huns uh, having the early kick-off and the inverted commas dread of a visit to Paisley in more ways than one, uh, the, the quick fast start that we had uh, and uh, then that sending off uh, made it more than a comfortable night uh, probably makes it difficult to kind of uh, gauge how that game might have went um, uh, had we not scored so early but uh, it, was, it was a very good way to finish up for the break uh, and for the inevitable next few weeks of uh, sweating on transfer rumours and uh, our players that are away uh, to the Asian Cup but overall I'm a happy boy as a Good finish to the to the year and um, to start this one and all of I want to see is a happy new year and uh, more of the same when we get back. Hail, hail. Oh, hon, Hugh Dallas, when will we see your likes again? Our brother Bobby, Colum and Robertson, we stood against them. Proud Celtic's army, all back to Hamden to think again. Well, after the madness of the new year, and Celtic get the result. Uh, against Rangers he still had uh, the wee bit of dread that got to St Mirren we might know if it is um, two games in a row three games in a row this is it's four, four wins in a row um, the start lineup was probably as expected Um you know, Welsh there. It probably shouldn't be even at Celtic anymore. But Devrosie needs his fucking chance. He got his chance. But we started off excellently. We looked bright. We went at them. We got a goal within a minute. It was good for Maeda to get a goal. I've got to say that. He's. I think for me he's been rushed in a wee bit uh, after his long term injury um, he has kind of looked off it but it was good for him to get a goal at that he was, he was okay today but no more than that um, and then we just went on from there we looked inventive there was a spark there uh, O'Reilly was absolutely fucking excellent um, Bernardo Superb. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, his ball for Taylor's goal. Even at, even at, I was saying to my mate John when I was watching the game, uh, about 60, 65 minutes in, that he was fucked. He was absolutely fucked. And then, not long after, he scores a belt-to-right goal. A belt-to-right goal from Bernardo. Great through ball. Um, I think it was a it was a good close to the 
being called this this period of the season. They were going to the the winter uh, close down for was it two weeks? But it doesn't it doesn't make any difference to what is needed. We need to improve our squad, get ourselves right in about it. But that was against the Mirners, they getting away from it. That was a, an excellent performance. And a wee special mention for their goalkeeper, who was absolutely brilliant. A lot of the a lot of the things, a lot of the goals that we scored he could really do nothing with. But was, that game could have easily have been easily six or seven nil. But for him, because he, he played excellently, absolutely superbly. He, he threw himself in front of everything. So I'm glad we got the win. It's a good three points. Uh, we're top of the league. We're clear top of the league, regardless of games in hand. So despite being a, a sticky period for us for a, a, a couple of months it has to be said I'm have done no too bad but we can't keep continuing this because we're taking chances and we shouldn't be taking chances right all the best hail hail The cheating and Boydy greeting, despite John beating the raging hum. Five-way agreement, EBT scheming. We still won, we still won, we still won. Somewhere Celtic three, about as routine as you can get, really, and that's uh, that's what we needed after the uh, Saturday's win. We needed a routine win, uh, and we got it. I mean, a week ago I watched this play Dundee, and I was pretty pissed off after <laughs> that three 0 win um, because we just we created a lot, but never really did it. Hitting the target, I think we had five shots on target with a thirty on that day. Big difference today. It felt like that was a 3 0 because the keeper had kept the score down. It's kind of odd because the first two goals went through the keeper, but other than that, the boy had a, good, a decent game for something. But I mean, by then, the ball was burst for them. Um, we started brilliantly, um, got the goal within the first minute, which uh, my head took well, but their left back was asleep. It did go through the keeper a bit, um, not quite as much as the second goal went through the keeper, but. Yeah, that was that was good football by Matt O'Reilly, so I mean two up ten minutes in cruising. Um the only other thing really I know in the game was the the, the red card. It was ridiculous that Chris Sutton was trying to claim that was fair. The Silverin guy has got his leg so high up it's above his own waist and he's studied the Joe Hart in the face. So <laughs> endangering an opponent it's pretty clear cut as a red card. Um I'm not entirely sure why the referee only gave a yellow to start with. It looked pretty obvious to me, but why? Um, but no, we're good under the winter break. Um, in a, a decent position, we do still need to strengthen. Getting people back for injury definitely helps, but we're still um, pretty light in certain key areas. I would say the keeper being one. Uh, good to get a clean sheet today, but another day. Other than get kicked in the head. But 
we definitely need strength in there. There's a couple of positions I'd like to see strength in as well. I think we need to strengthen up front. I think um, we don't have a lot up there right now. Kyogo and O are kind of swapping places. Um, and if Kyogo goes off the boil, then we, I don't think O is quite strong enough. But that's what January should be about now. We shouldn't be looking at these last two results as getting complacent and saying everything's rosy. It's not. We do need to strengthen, so over to the board on that one, and uh, we resume in the, the Scottish Cup a few weeks' time. Hi, everybody. Musical interlude time for this week's podcast. Um, again, I've tried to make it a little bit different. I'm sure who wants samey, samey shite all the time anyway. Uh, so I hope you'll indulge me with this one, folks. Um, I've chosen a song uh, in... The Gaelic language. It's a very, very old song going back to the 1700s. Um, but Parig Pierce uh, changed the lyrics of the song uh, and put them in his native tongue. Um, and with my own uh, love for the Irish language that I learned to speak properly as a teenager, um, thanks to my parents who bestowed on me yet another gift at the time that I didn't realise was so important. Uh, they sent me to a a summer school to learn to speak Irish properly. While we learned Irish in school, uh, we didn't really learn to speak it properly. And uh, I was, let's say, coaxed into going to the the Irish language school for the first summer and then couldn't wait to go back. So I, I learned how to speak Irish in my teenage years and uh, I have it since then. But again, uh, to get back to the song, um, Parley Pierce uh, wrote, re, uh, rewrote uh, the lyrics. Um, the initial hero of the song was Bonnie Prince Charlie. Um, but he decided to replace Bonnie Prince Charlie with uh, a great Gaelic warrior um, whose name was Gráinne Niwalia, um, Grace O'Malley, and who was also known as Gráinne Wales. She was a famous pirate queen. And uh, he changes the original uh, French and Spanish soldiers from the old lyrics um, to replace them with uh, Gaelic warriors. So he created a new song to fit the new political scene using this female chieftain, uh, Grainne Whale, as a symbol of Ireland's struggle against the invader. So um, it's said that the, the rebels, as they marched through Dublin streets uh, in the 1916 Rising, were, were singing this song. It's a very rousing song. Oro um, Shadavahawalya is the name of it. And uh, briefly for the chorus, Oro is kind of another word for, you know, tri- a triumphal kind of uh, expression, as in hooray or yay, Oro uh, Shay, Oro. So, um, yeah, and uh, as I say, it's 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 basically uh, Patrick Pierce's rewriting of a, a very old melody. And it's a great song, I love singing it, and I hope you uh, enjoy it as well. So, Catalpa's version of Oro Shedavahawalya. Thanks, William. Hail, hail, folks. <laughs> Oh, Roche de Valle, 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 oh, Roche de Valle,
second half was a bit cruise control, but we are we are sense of purpose, you know. Um, you could tell that the management felt the game was done, um, and that you know they're kind of looking at saying right, when are we going to bring on certain players, i.e. Abada and Hatati. Um, Kyogo had a few chances and kind of missed them when, you know, the, the, the real Kyogo would have snapped them up. Um, and I think Chris mentioned in this podcast as well that then you're bringing on O and it, it just doesn't work. It's, it's a different game, different player. Maybe you're near the standard of Kyogo. Maybe you're near the standard of Jack Amakis, the guy he replaced. And to be honest with you, and I'll come on to it later on the podcast, he'd be one I'd be looking to say, mm, I think it's time to go somewhere else, pal. Um, but we've seen the game pretty, I mean, it, again, a couple of guys mentioned St Murn fans, I mean, this has been fucking, as long as I've been gone to Paisley, they've been like that. They're the football illiterates, say, Scottish football. Um, just look at that halfway that runs the pie in Bovril wing, for the fucking example. Um, they're always screaming, ranting and raving about nothing. Um, they have a real kind of sense of inferiority around, around them any time we play them for some fucking reason. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if they think that they should be on the same level as us or whatever. I know Tony Fitzpatrick has made comments in the past about how big a club they are and all that, but, you know, they used to happen at Easter Road when they had the, in brackets, terracing running along the side of the ground and you would have these guys running forward at every opportunity to linesmen screaming, ranting and raving and the kind of same thing happens at St Mern um, and I said, you know, if you want to do that, fine what I have to say to it though is have a wee bit of football intelligence before you do it you know, know what you're talking about before you're going to start abusing folk because if you're abusing Greg Taylor for almost getting his leg taken off, or you're abusing Joe Hart for almost getting his head taken off, then really, I don't think football's for you. So, three and away to St Mirren, pretty comfortable. Obviously helped with the fact we're doing nothing up after six minutes before you've even sat down to watch it in my case. So, that, that was good. That was good. It took away the, the pressure and allowed us to play football and no worry about getting the, the breakthrough goal and, and I think Maida needed that goal as well didn't he he's come back into the team he's not really done much and whatever else so hopefully that'll with him a few weeks under his belt of training and we'll see the player that we know that he can be rather than the, the heedless chicken that we also know that he can be in my opinion but hey ho eh, big Matt Riley again fuck me man what a man what a man fast becoming the new Tom Rogic uh, in the centre of the park with us, the, the man with that bit of, bit of talent and a bit of skill. And again, I, I think that's 10 goals for the season, which is uh, a few years touched on it. I think we all did, didn't we, at the start of the season we did that wee run, that he could be a big player for us this season and by fuck, as you know, came through. Uh, so, that, I, that was us, 2 0 up after six minutes. Started with the same team that, f- that fucking finished the game against the Zombies. And pretty settled and again for me uh, Johnston was only kind of poor performance today and uh, Alistair Johnston he looks, he looks as if he's needing a break I think the winter break's going to come a good time for him for one reason or another he's just no on it and 
I think he could maybe be doing with fucking working in his crossing in, the, in January before he comes back because again he was pretty wasteful when he hit that byline um, the only downside that the other thing would say but we're doing that up after six minutes and you think to yourself we're going to go on and score a barrel out here especially right on half time when they get the boys sent off for the fucking assault that was fucking Joe Hart was lucky he didn't get a serious injury to be honest um, aye so getting into the second half you think starting that 2-0 up a man advantage and apart from Taylor's goal which was a, a good goal a few good saves for the keeper and a couple of which probably a buried and what have you um, but that was the only goal of the second half and 3-0 it, it finished up pretty happy with it like I, I'd, I'd said before it might have been a case of at the, after the Lord's Mayor's show doing there the day but it wasn't there's no very many times you go down there and you, you enjoy a game I'm not saying I enjoyed the game per se but um, I, we were comfortable the day and that, that was a different type of game than what we expect doing there and that made the day for us, to be honest, didn't it? It was just the, the two goals, and it allows us to play football and takes the pressure off. And us as fans, maybe it's, it's something and we're all fucking going off, we're not at and shouting and everything else. You don't take into account the, maybe the impact it's having on the, the players. And I think the day with them, 2 0 up after six minutes, settled. No rush, no rushing about. Cal Mack was brilliant again. Everybody stepped up, and we're going forward with the ball now. We're I fucking use a horrible phrase recycling it a lot better in my opinion now it's not just the side side it's, it's you're trying to go forward with it the heats are up and you're going doing the doing the flanks with it Palmer again he might be another one for me that's it's looking as if he could be doing me a wee rest he's not producing much to know and um, I don't really buy into the horses for courses thing I think if you're a football player you should be able to do it in any kind of situation surface and what have you and I don't know he just wasn't there again the day for me but all in all three goals three points um, and we're going into this break now a hell of a lot stronger than where we were a fortnight ago after that Hearts game after we're, we're looking at that and you're thinking fucking hell but we've put the bastards to bed we've went down the road a wee bit in M8 picked up three points for a potentially tricky encounter for me getting into the new year eight points and eight goals clear we look we look as if we're, we're starting to come together as a team um, and I'm hoping that the wee break, the wee few weeks working and everything, getting players back, Hattati will be back, getting others a bad and, and everything else. Come January, then we should move. We should be looking to look on in the league and move forward and start putting them to bed. Hail, hail, boys and girls. And of course, Greg Taylor um, gets them back by scoring a good goal. Another great boffy, Bernardo kind of thing you want to see for your kind of third man midfielder um, and when you've got McGregor and O'Reilly on this kind of form then it must be much easier for you know the players around them um, other players I mean I thought Scales had a good game kind of led the defence well Alistair Johnson still off the boil I don't know what's going on there but he needs to shape up um, Nabroxy I think we saw again some elements of where the flaws are in his game. Greg Taylor was back on it, um, which he has been for a couple of weeks now. Um, and so I, so, you know, Palma again, I still, it's still a hit and a miss for me. And I think 
with the runs and the penetration and the dynamism of Abada you've seen coming on, you know, he might just slip out the team. But overall, it was a good three points, a good 3-0. We um, obviously had to get over the shock, shock of the Huns conceding a penalty at Ibrox. Conveniently enough, when it would have been the world record had they not. Um, but have to be satisfied with that. But does it change anything? So, Celtic 3, St Martin nothing. Standing outside Conley's Bar in Glasgow, my friend's up from England, Camillus Cairns, gave my wee shout out, my best man at my wedding, and... I thought Celtic were imperious for the first minute to the last. I'm actually surprised that the referee never sent off the submitting striker in the first instance for what is blatantly a dangerous challenge. What is it about the referees in Scotland that they're, they have an abject failure to send off opposition players against Celtic for what are almost assassination attempts instead of legitimate challenges he was a mile late for the ball Joe Hart's punched the ball away and the guys come in after the ball's away and nearly took his fucking heat off I'm sorry but I know we've done ref watch earlier in the season but that's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life a yellow card he wanted to game for that I don't know who the VAR was, but thank fuck for him because if VAR, VAR never get involved, my God, man, it's almost unbelievable. On the game itself, 65 seconds, Dyson Maida scores a fucking absolute peach and then we're in the home stretch. We make it 2-0 shortly after and it's easy street. Have to wait to the second half for the third goal, and I thought, on the whole, Celtic were just different class. They go down to ten men before half-time, and they were resolute in the second half. We still look, still look slightly dodgy at the back because they got in far too much for my lighting even with 10 men and I thought overall Celtic were just imperious it's it's a welcome relief because usually after Celtic Rangers games Celtic dropped points and the night we just took care of business did better than the Huns did at Ibrox for the first time in their life they ever they gave a, a penalty away without breaking a world record. I thought you could write the script for it. It's, instead of breaking a world record, they gave a penalty away when they were turning up. It's it's just it's just laughable. Anyway, guys, we're off for three weeks now. Hail, hail, fuck the Rangers. And God bless the Celtic. Referee watch. 
I know uh, Frankie McGuinness said that we used to do this at the start of the season. We've been doing it every pod, Frankie. You need to get up to speed, son. Um, what can you say about David Monroe? I mean, it just summed up by that decision to give only a yellow card. Um, just completely hopeless. And you, Aifa? As someone who didn't grow up in Glasgow, I always found it to be an oddity that one of the bigger areas to find Celtic supporters was Govan. To me, that was far too close to Ibrox, and so surely you wouldn't find many Celtic supporters from there. Shows what I know. Govan has also provided Celtic with many great players in its time. Lisbon Lions, Jim Craig and Joe McBride both grew up on the south side of the Clyde, as did goalkeeper Frank Harvey. Those three played for Celtic at a time another future Celtic was born and raised in the area. Tommy Coyne grew up Celtic daft, but while scouts from both Celtic and Rangers knew of him, they never picked him up. Well, he did go to St Saviour's Primary School, so one of those was never going to be a goer. Instead, his career started across the river with Clyde Bank before moving to the City of Discovery in 1983 and the newly crowned champions Dundee United. It never quite worked out there under Jim McLean, and in what could be seen as something of an eye-opening move, he crossed the road to Dens Park midway through the 1986-87 season. At Dundee, he quickly formed a partnership with Keith Wright and carried that into the 1987-88 season. While Celtic were celebrating their centenary season with a league and cup double, the top goalscorer in the league that year was Tommy Coyne of Dundee with 33 goals. His form continued into the next season, including scoring the winner against Celtic at Celtic Park in October. No wonder then that when Frank McAvenny opted to return to West Ham, Celtic finally came calling for Tommy. But following in the footsteps of a fan favourite is never easy, as I mentioned when speaking about Johnny Crum. Tommy found the move to Celtic difficult and didn't manage to score in his first season at the club although it wasn't helped by Bill McNeil playing him in a wide left position in his debut against Hearts He also couldn't take part at Celtic retaining the Scottish Cup due to being cup tied The 1989-90 season started better for him with an opening day hat-trick back at Tynecastle, but that may well have been the highlight of what would be an otherwise dismal season for Celtic Tommy even missed a sitter against Rangers in November 1989 when the game was level, only for Judas to score another immediately at the other end of the park. That 1-0 defeat arguably turned the season, with Celtic only managing to win five of the next 24 league games. Three of those came the following month and the last came in early March. Celtic also didn't manage to score more than one goal in any league game after Christmas. The Scottish Cup was the only saving grace in that season, with Tommy scoring the only goal of the game against Rangers in the fourth round in February. But even that run ended with a penalty shootout defeat to Aberdeen in the final after a goalless draw. Tommy's Celtic career then hit its lowest point as he was transfer listed and stuck in the reserves for the 1990-91 season. But it wasn't the end for him. An injury crisis hit and Tommy was recalled to the first team in November 1990. Two goals against Motherwell on a 2-1 win later and Tommy was back in business. By the end of that season, Tommy was not only Celtic's top goalscorer, but for the second time in his career, he was the league's top goalscorer too. Those goals may not have won any silverware, but they did get Celtic back into Europe having missed out for a year. This earned Tommy the nickname Der Bomber, as the fans had finally warned to Tommy. He was, after all, not only one of our own, but everyone loves a comeback story. The 1991-92 season saw his goalscoring dip a bit, but at this point he was in competition with Jerry Craney and Charlie Nicholas for a starting spot. 
But towards the end of this season, Tommy also earned his first international call-up as Ireland came calling. Qualifying through his ancestry, Tommy actually made it into the Irish squad pretty late in his career. He was 31 when his debut came against Switzerland, a game in which he actually scored. With 10 minutes remaining, he was replaced by John Aldrich, who subsequently scored the winner from the spot. That friendly win was more than Scotland managed in their qualifying group against the Swiss. For the 1992-93 season, Tommy lost his place as manager Liam Brady didn't rate him and preferred his own signings and Andy Payton and Stuart Slater. Despite dropping out of the side, he still managed to pop up with crucial goals like a Scottish Cup winner against Clyde and a league winner away to Airdrie in January 1993. But it wasn't enough for Brady to change his mind. In March 1993, Tommy left Celtic to sign for Tranmere Rovers, a move that had many Celtic fans questioning the judgement of Brady. I seem to remember being one of those questioning it myself. That wouldn't be the end of Tommy's involvement with Celtic though. For one, he returned to Scotland after only a few months following the tragic death of his wife. With Motherwell, he scored the goal that knocked Celtic out of the Scottish Cup in January 1994, a defeat that arguably finally tipped the scales against the old Celtic board and ultimately led to the removal in March. Tommy's Motherwell side finished third in the league that season, ahead of Celtic and once more denied Celtic a place in Europe. Then of course, Tommy was off to the World Cup with Ireland. With Niall Quinn injured, Tommy managed to play in three of Ireland's four games in the United States. He didn't manage to score at the tournament, but he was part of the starting 11 that beat Italy thanks to fellow Glasgow-born Ray Houghton. He was also the player that Jack Charlton was trying to replace with John Aldridge when he lost the pot at the fourth official against Mexico. The 1994-95 season saw Motherwell go one better and finish runners-up to Rangers, with Tommy Coyne's goals being vital in that. Indeed, Coyne finished top scorer in the league for the third time in his career, and today he's the only man to have managed that feat with three different clubs. Alongside Dougie Arnott and Owen Coyle, Tommy had a reasonably successful time at Motherwell and even played a big part in a 2-1 defeat of Rangers in March 1998, his own small part in stopping the 10. Tommy's career ended back where it began. First at Dens Park for Dundee once more, and then back at Clyde Bank as player-manager. He was manager when the club fell into administration, something from which he would not emerge, and he would eventually be brought out by those working for Airdrie United. By that time, Tommy had hung off his boots. Tommy's an underrated player in Celtic history, partly because he had his ups and downs while at the club, and partly because he played for Celtic at a time of turmoil and disappointment for the club itself. But the fans who remember the 90s often recall Tommy as one of the brighter highlights from those dark days. And so, it doesn't really change anything. You know, there's, like, we've had a couple of pick-up wins, that's great. But big picture, the club still needs change. We still need to get rid of the Lawwells and any influence of that family ever on the club. We still need to back the manager or get a new one because there's no point in having a manager if you didn't back him. Now, as we said at the end of the last podcast, Adam Sadler... Not Sandler and all the great comedians that came in with day jokes uh, has been brought into the club, and he was Brendan Rodgers' man from Leicester, which hopefully means that Brendan has began to win the war against the Lawwells that they continually wage against him. <coughs> we need to get rid of players first and foremost. Uh, well, no, first and foremost actually, we need to bring in players. But we'll go on to the they even say it. The players, you know, we need to get rid of a few. We need to get rid of Kobayashi, we need to get rid of Yang, we need to get rid of David Turnbull, um, you know, quite a few others, Quan, just, you know, Lager Bielka or Boxy, they, they all have to go because they're no good enough. We can fucking argue all right, but you know, that's the, the reality. Even Big O, I think, you know, how many chances is he going to get? Come on, make impacts, doesn't really do it. Um, so <clears throat> for me, Right now, we need a goalkeeper, we need a left-back, and we need a striker, 
as a fucking necessity, right? And I said before, <clears throat> even bringing a goalkeeper now that Joe Hart can kind of um, give him the benefit of his experience and all that kind of thing, we have you to next season because Joe Hart surely can't be the goalkeeper next season. Left back, I mean, Bernabe's another one that needs to go. Greg Taylor, you know, has been inconsistent and needs pushed. You know, we bring you need to bring in a left back, a proper left back, no fucking a project, a proper left back to come in and push him or replace him, either way. And striker. I heard somebody say that, you know, why do we need to fucking get bring a striker and we've got the best one in Scotland? Well, he's not been scoring enough goals. But secondly, if he he's to go, i.e., like there's a thing called the Asian Cup, then we need to bring in quality to put in that place because we literally are gonna lose oh Kyogo and Maeda from the front for the Asian Cup, like, don't you see? So that should have been a necessity. And of course, we should be sitting here now. I'm recording this on January 3rd, which um, should be saying, here's the striker we're getting, or this, but weren't they? And that, that, that's wrong for Celtic Football Club. You know, where is the plan? Where's the organisation? after the shit show of the start of the season in terms of the transfers and the recruitment and all the rest of it, is nobody sitting down and saying, right, we need to sort this, we need to sort it quickly, so in January, boom, it, it unfolds immediately. Well, the answer to that is no. And the reason for that is because Brendan Rodgers refuses to work with Mark Lawwell, given that basically his father is basically telling him which players to sign, and they're no good enough. It's that simple. So Brendan Rodgers will have his names and it's doomed to, unfortunately, the law wells to go and get them. Um, and Or maybe it's doomed to Rod Stewart. Television pictures, yesterday saw him sitting with our fucking directors in Paisley. You know. And it's interesting. I mean, I got sent the footage. Michael Nicholson's on the phone a minute before the game's about to start. Who's the fuck's he on the phone to you a minute before the game's just start? You'd like to think that I'd be a big fucking transfer, but who knows? So, plenty of things need to happen. We can't rest on our fucking laurels and certainly no our laurels. Of all the matches that ever i seen Watching Celtics white and green There is one game I love till I die When Caesar held the big cup high The Lisbon Lions led by Jack Steen On that May day they stood so tall Still are the Tims raise a parting glass Good night and joy be with you all.